Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The title of this message is The Devouring of Death. The Devouring of Death. Like I said, it's going to be a little short exhortation tonight, but some things were weighing on my heart and I didn't want to pass up this opportunity. Some of you that know me for a long time know that 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 4 verses 16 through 17, some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, So it should sound a little familiar to you, but the way that we look at the rest of the chapter completely changes our perspective on those two verses. So why don't we pray and then we'll open up just going over the scriptures tonight. Father, we thank you for this evening. We know that you are our Lord and our God. And we pray, Lord, as we open up your scriptures, as we open up 2 Corinthians, Lord, that you would speak to us in a new way. We thank you for the concert tonight. We thank you for a chance to just uh, fellowship with each other. And we pray, Lord, that we'd be able to have that fun. And Lord, that you really give us a vision for this new year, how we can serve you and best be used by you Uh, Not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but because we know that there's treasure in your house and we know that there's joy in your kingdom. So we thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you for your people and for the friends that we have here. We pray that you go before a time in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. You know, I don't know how many of you have had a bad day, but uh, you guys know what they're like. Where... One thing goes wrong and you figure the rest of your day is going to be terrible. Some person sends you an angry text message and it wakes you up. You wake up in this angry text message and you just feel the emotion out of the caps lock and you're like, oh, my day's ruined. And then like your parents are like yelling at you for something and then you're, you're like me, you're walking around your house and you're like, this is already a bad day. And then you step in like a hairball that your cat just puked up and you're just like, so like prophetic of my life. A hairball. Um, you guys know what it's like to have bad days. It's almost like you can predict what's going to happen next. Of course this person's going to lie to me. Of course this person's going to cut me off while I'm driving. And you like have this supernatural foresight to see into the future. Um, but what, what happens is when you have one bad day, that's one thing. When you have two bad days, that's another thing. I remember there was a time where I got pulled over three nights in a row. Yeah, the first night was legitimate. I was with Dave Duquesne. We were driving to Andy Dean's house. He remembers. (laughs) And we're driving, and I get pulled over because I'm doing, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm young. I'm like 17, and I'm driving thinking, it's 3 in the morning. All the cops are asleep. (laughs) And so I'm driving. I'm going like 85 miles an hour in a 65. Don't do that. It costs like $600 to pay the ticket off. And that's why I never speed anymore because it costs too much money. Cop pulls us over and he's talking to us. And he, I remember Dave, you know, I'm 17, so Dave's like 15. He's like asking Dave for his ID because Dave has like this beard, even when he's 15. <laughs> and, and Dave's like, I'm only in high school. He's like, well, uh, really? So you should probably have an ID anyway. Um, so that freaked me out. And the second night I was in my neighborhood and then like, I'm just, I revved my engine. I didn't do anything wrong. I just revved my engine and a cop, like, followed me to my house and, like, was cursing me off and screaming at me. 
And at this point, I'm like, now I have like some kind of nervous disorder. So the third day comes along and like I see a cop parked in my, in my gas station that I worked at. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go slow. I'm going to like pull out of here and make sure I'm very careful. And I see a car following me. I'm like, there's no way this is the cop following me. He turns on his lights. And I was like, what did I do wrong? And the cop like comes up to me, interrogates. He's like, what's that on the floor? And I was like, it's my e-brake. He's like, oh, okay. What's that plastic bag over there? I'm like, I don't know. It's a plastic bag. He's like, you know why I pulled you over? I was like, I have absolutely no idea. Why don't you just tell me? He's like, your taillight is out. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I think you can understand for, the, for like the next three years, I just thought that like I was going to be pulled over. I thought like I was going to be in trouble. And like I just, whenever I saw a cop, I just started like shuddering and it was bad. And so what happens is when something happens to you on a frequent basis, you start to have a pattern of thought and you start to believe because this has happened so many times, it's going to continue to happen in the future. And so when you have a bad day, you figure that your bad days are going to extend in perpetuity. What's the word? Perpetuity. Is that a word? It's going to perpetuate. It's going to perspire. It's going to perspire in perpetuity. Perpetuity. I like making up words here. You know, it's probably good if you, before you start preaching, learn English. So you, you start to have this pattern. Um, but the interesting thing, and this is why I like 2 Corinthians so much, especially this, these two verses. Paul talks about when you're a Christian, you have this hope. When you have a bad day, you have the hope that there's a, a tomorrow and tomorrow will be a good day. He says in verse 14, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. The NLT says it this way. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every single day. So it's like this. You die, you know, circumstances are killing you, but we have a God that resurrects the dead. So it's like, oh, terrible day, I'm dying. Oh, I'm alive again. Oh, I'm dead. Oh, I'm alive again. Like, that's who our God is. He resurrects us. And so this is now the new pattern that we have as believers. Even if you are dying, God can resurrect you. It says in verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He calls it light affliction. Any trouble that you're going through is like light affliction. And some of you are going through some serious things. Paul did. He went through sufferings. He went through persecutions. But he called it light affliction. But it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It can't even be compared with what we're going to receive in heaven. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So he says, I'm giving you this new pattern. And that's what he says to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. We now have this new pattern. You don't have to no longer be defined by bad days, by dying, but through Jesus, we now have a new life. And that defines us as Christians. 
We have a new pattern where we're resurrected, not just once, not just twice, not just every single moment that we're, we're feeling down, but in the future, we will be restored. And we have that hope of that restoration, even if we can't see it right now. He continues on in verse 1 of chapter 5. For we know, he doesn't say hope, he doesn't say maybe, I, I just, I'd like to believe so. He says, we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You see, Paul was a, a tent maker. This was kind of his occupation. And so when he talks about this body, he's talking about as if it's just, a you know, this body, this tent, it's been destroyed. That word destroyed meaning to be broken down. To be like when you're taking a tent apart, you're breaking camp and you're moving on to the next thing. He says, this tent is being destroyed, broken down, but we get something better. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. I love this verse. This verse, I, I think you should commit this verse to memory because it's just so beautifully put. It says, for we who are in this tent groan, being burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but because we want to be further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Check it out. This is what he's saying. He's talking to the Greeks, right? So the Greek people had this thought that all matter was evil. Plato had this idea, and that's why they call it Platonism. It's named after him. But they thought that matter and physical objects were evil. And that's why they thought God, if he exists, can actually interact with the world. Because why would God want to put on evil if matter is tainted and evil? And that's the reason why people sin. People in today's modern age think the same thing. Like, well, if I could just be rid of this body of death, if I could just be rid of uh, the things, you know, if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. They thought that in, in getting rid of this body, being freed of this body, you're just left with who you really are, the soul. But Paul doesn't say that. He says, it's not enough to just be rid of this body. We don't want to just be unclothed, to just be soul. We want to be further clothed. We want a better body, a supernatural body. You see, the Bible talks about something very different than what we're used to. A lot of us are used to getting rid of something, giving it away, surrendering something when it has failed us. A lot of us have uh, gotten used to um, someone hurting us, someone uh, doing something wrong to us, and we're never able to gain that friendship back. It's kind of you give it over to that sin or you give that person over to that sin. But God instead doesn't just replace things, he restores things. And so that's the word that a lot of us need to hear for today, is that God doesn't just replace things, he restores things. You know, there's a hurt that happens whenever sin enters the world and whenever sin enters your life. If you have, if let's just say that you had a father that was a deadbeat dad and he just kind of left and hurt the family and was just going to be gone. I have many friends that have had that situation. The first thing you think about is not, I want another dad to replace my old dad. The first thing you think about is, man, I, I really wish that my, my dad was restored, my true dad. It's not enough to have a replacement. There's a part of you that seeks restoration. Some of you, unfortunately, know people and you yourselves have cut yourselves at some point in time, have done bodily harm, and those scars don't go away. 
It's not enough to just say you want a replacement. You want your, your body restored. And that's what God is saying is, it's not just that you're t- we're giving over that body to sin and it's over and we're just going to be like, well, that's, it's too bad. We've ruined it. But nothing is ever really wasted. Nothing is ever really ruined because God promises restoration. You see, when your body dies, it's not like you get a different body. You get the same body, the same life. So nothing you ever do, even when you sin against the Lord, what man intends for evil, God intends for good. Even the scars of Jesus, remember, are going to be there for eternity. But those scars, those wounds are what heal us. Nothing is ever wasted with the Lord. We don't have to lose heart. Why? Because anything that we ever commit to the Lord is never lost. That's why we're not to give up. Don't give up hope. Whatever you give to the Lord, whatever you commit to him is never lost. If you have something valuable... You're only going to give it to someone who you know isn't going to lose it. You give that valuable thing to the person that you know is going to, you're going to be able to trust that person. You wouldn't give something valuable. Uh, You wouldn't give your laptop to a three-year-old. You wouldn't give an expensive camera to a three-year-old and be like, oh, just hold this for five minutes, you know, because you know they're going to break it. But if you think about it, God holds the whole universe together. Anything that you give to God is safe in his hands. He has the whole world in his hands. But the problem is that we possess our hearts. We're holding on to it. We don't want to let that go. Until we give that to Jesus, you're always going to be anxious. You're always going to be feeling the need to be in control. And what God asks us to do is, you're not going to lose your heart if you give it to him. But some of us think if we just hold on to our heart, if we're in control, then we, we won't have to worry about anything. We won't have to be anxious. But instead, the very act of holding on to things, being in control, is itself the source of anxiety. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you're going through a situation and you're just so worried, like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work out with that person or this person said this to me and I have to think of a solution and you're, you're thinking of all the ways that you can solve a problem. Maybe you've hurt someone and you're trying to figure all the ways that you can, you can make restoration with that person. But what you're doing is because you're in control, you have to think of all the possible solutions. But God says, tomorrow isn't promised to you. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient is the day for its own troubles. You see, but if you surrender that anxiety to God, you say, God, you're in control. I give it all to you. All of a sudden, it's safe. Because, you know, all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. And you know, as Paul said to Timothy, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day, the day that he returns. Whatever it is that you have that you're so burdened about right now, pay attention very closely right now. Whatever it is that you're burdened with, whatever it is that you're anxious about, if you commit it to the Lord, it will be safe. Don't lose heart. Give your heart to the Lord. Give up your idols to the Lord. Give up those burdens to the Lord. You know, um, many of us, since we, a lot of us grew up in the church, you have things, you have giftings, you have possessions. And because we live in this world, we can become attached to those things. You know, uh, your heart follows wherever you're, you're putting all of your time. And... For me, for a very long time, music was my idol. 
And so I wanted my band to succeed and I would play shows. And the more that I would invest in the band and I would spend countless hours on MySpace, because that was a thing back in the day. And some of you will probably laugh at that. But countless hours thinking of PR tactics and how to market the band. And like we gained, I don't know if you guys even know this by, by now, we gained 25,000 friends in one month. Just like people were following us from all over the country and stuff and like people were buying our music. It seemed like place, uh, the band was going places. But at one point or another, God closed the door. And then I came to, to that place where I said, Lord, I have to give this up to you. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, I put all my security in one thing and I was so certain that God wanted me to be in a band. And in fact, it just felt like everything was right. Like when I went to shows and I was witnessing to people and people were coming to know the Lord and, and these cool things were happening, I felt like I was made to do this. But when God closed the door, then I was left with the problem of, well, what, what do I do now? And I had to commit that to the Lord, knowing that it was going to be safe in his hands. When I you know, started uh, the job here at the church, I knew I would have to give up music for a long time. I knew that I wouldn't be able to pursue a band. I can't like be a part-time traveling musician and part-time working out of the church. So I committed that to the Lord, but I knew, I was persuaded he's able to keep what I commit to him until that day that he returns. But what is your idol? What is the thing that's getting in the way? Is it a sport? Is it a job? Is it a hobby? Now, a lot of you, when I even say that, you're like, oh, don't say that. Don't convict me. And that's you. You probably have to hear it even more. What is keeping you from serving the Lord with all of your heart? Not just a part of it, not just a tiny bit and just say, well, in my spare time, I'll seek the Lord. In my spare time, I'll read my Bible. I didn't get to read my Bible today. Why? Because I was too busy with this and that and this. There's something wrong in your priorities if that's the case. You have to ask yourself, what am I doing for the kingdom's sake? Knowing that nothing you ever do for the Lord is ever wasted, ever useless. And that goes with your time. The Bible says to plant a variety of crops because you don't know what's going to grow. Maybe they all will. Invest your time in kingdom things. Invest your time learning a new hobby. You know, if you don't know how to play music, but you're like, man, I, I think I would like to lead worship one day. Start learning an instrument. You never know what's going to happen in the future. But are you investing your time in things that matter? Or are you just saying, well, I have to, you know, you have to do this. And my job asked me to work a whole lot of hours, so I guess I have to listen to them. And, you know, I'm not... If that's you, I understand that. These are important things. These are good things. But sometimes they get in the way of what God's trying to tell us. So I'm not saying that you don't have a job, don't do your homework and whatever, because that's obviously dumb. But put it in the kingdom perspective. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. It could even be a relationship. Maybe that relationship's the thing that's occupying so much of your mind capacity, so much of your time, you're not able to give it to the Lord. See, even good things can be bad things if we make them everything. Instead, we're supposed to do what verse 6 says. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. For you're confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, here's what he says. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. Not to man. He says, no matter what we do in life, while we're here on this earth or while we're in heaven, we're going to be well-pleasing to the Lord. There are certain things that you can only do here on this earth that you can't do in heaven. Did you know that? 
There's certain things that you can only do here on this earth that you can't do in heaven. And there's a book written by some guy about evangelism saying one thing you can't do in heaven. There's also you can't sin in heaven, I guess. But you shouldn't try to do that while you're here on this earth, I guess. I, I know. Let's keep moving. <laughs> he says we make it our aim to be well-pleasing while we're here on this earth. And it's kind of like if you're driving. How many of you have your license? I need it. All right. So the minority of you. I have to make these illustrations more relevant. But if you are driving, you have to look at the road. If you're looking at the side of the road, you're going to drive towards what you're looking at. And it's the same way in your Christian life. Or if you're shooting an arrow at the target, you have to look at where you're shooting. Otherwise, you're going to miss the target. The same way in our Christian life. You have to look at where you're headed. You have to set your eyes on things above, not on the earth, for you die and your life is hidden with Christ. If you're seeking the things of the kingdom, you have to look at the kingdom. In this next year, 2014, if you want to be kingdom-minded, you want to be seeking after the Lord, you have to look at Jesus. Walk by faith, not by sight. Physical sight, that is. So he says, this is what we, we do. We make it our aim to please the Lord and not man. You know, sometimes you'll do things just out of guilt. And when I was in high school, I was in that same boat. You know, my youth pastor would always ask me, so, what you reading in your Bible this week? And every week I'd be like, oh, man. And I knew he was going to ask me that every single week. So at first I read it just because he would bug me and I didn't want to feel guilty. You know, but that's not, obviously, that's not the right motivation. But you know what it did? It showed me the true motivation. In just forming that habit of being afraid of like, oh, no, he's going to ask me, I started reading my Bible. And just by the fact of reading my Bible, the word doesn't return void. And I was like, wow, there is something in this book. There is joy to be had in this book. But you, you realize you can't live your life in guilt. You can't live your life in doing things out of obligation because that's called legalism. That means that you're taking the kingdom of God and you're making it a means to your end. And you're saying, I will do this for, uh, for God and I'll do all the things God wants me to do as long as it gives me what I really want. Instead, seeking the kingdom of God means seeing the kingdom for what it really is. Treasure. Joy. The person who sold everything that he had to buy that pearl of great price, the kingdom of God, he didn't do it because he was like, well, I feel really bad. I should probably buy this pearl. No, he saw the joy that was in the pearl. And because of that, he was willing to forsake everything else. Now, I'm not saying that you should sell literally everything that you have and follow Jesus. I'm saying that you should see the kingdom for what it really is. Treasure. Joy. Don't do things out of obligation. I mean, start off, yeah, maybe some of you just need to do things out of obligation. But... If that's the only thing driving you, then you're just making the kingdom the means to your end. When you need to find that Jesus is a fulfillment of all that joy that you're really looking for. Look at verse 10. I know I said I was going to go like really short. <laughs> I'm going to wrap it up soon, don't worry. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves to you, commend ourselves against you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we, if, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. I love that verse. He's like, if we're crazy, I do it for God. And if I'm of sound mind, I do it for you guys. 
Because people were looking at Paul and they really thought he was out of his mind. You know, when the Corinthians are reading this book and they see Paul going through all these tribulations, they're not figuring, yeah, Paul, suffering for the Lord, great job. Their thought was, wow, all these bad things are happening to Paul. He must be a bad person. He must be less of an apostle than what we thought. And so Paul's out there looking crazy. Like, listen, if I'm looking like I'm crazy and I'm being persecuted, I'm doing all these dumb things and like people are stoning me and stuff, I do that for God. And if you think like, right on, Paul, then I'm doing it for you guys. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died and he died for all, that those who live should no longer, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Here's a really crazy thought. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made the earth and he made man ruler over all the things of the earth, all the creatures of the earth and, and all those things. And by doing that, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. And by uh, being fruitful and multiplying over the earth, we're actually allowing God's reign to extend throughout the earth. So we're his image bearers spreading throughout the earth. But when sin entered the world, now the image has been marred. So what has happened now is we have replaced that by bringing the gospel throughout the earth. So God's image is, is restored and sent throughout the earth when we bring the message of Jesus. And we have been committed with that task. God is actually trusting us with something. And so he says something really radical in, in, in verse 20. Pay attention to this verse. Underline this verse if you have your Bibles. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that crazy? What he actually says is, okay, let's think about this for a second. Let's say you have something really important that you want to tell someone, right? If you have a really important message, you don't just text the person. You don't just call the person up. You know, you meet with them in person. Why? Because you want to make sure that message doesn't get distorted. Or maybe if you have to pass it on through someone, you use someone that you trust so that you make sure that they're not going to lie, they're not going to add any of their own details and get that message across. But he says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. You realize that God trusts you with his message? He expects you to share the gospel, not being like, oh, yeah, uh, listen, I'm obligated to tell you something because I'm a Christian and uh, I know I have to share the gospel with, uh, I have to define gospel too. Good news of Jesus, he died for you. Okay, I've done my obligation. I'm going away now. Some of us treat it like that, right? Some of us treat the gospel message as if like, oh, I feel so bad. Why do I have to do this again? But instead, God wants us to bring that message as though he were pleading through us himself. You have that obligation. You have that task. There are three applications for aiming to persuade God that you can write down. That's right in this text. 
Number one, we aim to persuade men. You see that in verse 11. Number two, you need to admit your renewal. You see that in verse 17. Number three, you have to accept the responsibility of reconciliation. And we saw that in verse 19. So aiming to persuade men, we're admitting our renewal. And thirdly, we accept the responsibility of reconciliation. And I'm closing, so don't worry. I'm, I really, I only have one page of notes. How did this happen? I really don't know how this happened. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. We aim to persuade men. Why? Because we have been given that task. Each and every one of you represents the next generation. You realize that if you guys don't get it, if you guys don't uh, have the gospel alive in you, the church dies out. There will be no more Calvary Chapel Old Bridge. It will be gone. And that is why it's so important that we do exactly what he's, what he's saying in this verse. That we're well known to God. And we're persuading men as if God himself were pleading through us. Are you persuading people? Are you going out there and you're, you're talking to people? Are you making that your aim every single day? I'm going to bring a new person to youth group. You know, we've been doing this Leap in the Dark series for a while now. The first night, how many people we had? We had like 100, 130, 140 kids. That's like the most we've ever had in the history of impact. Since I've even been going to this church. You realize that's revolutionary? That has never happened before. Do you think it could happen again? Do you think we could have more people? It's all depending on whether you are making it your aim to persuade men. Secondly, you have to admit your renewal. Maybe one of the reasons that you're not going and persuading people is because you feel like, well, I'm not a changed person. How is it that I can go and persuade people if people look at my life and they're like, well, you're not really living the Christian life to begin with. How can I go and tell people about Jesus if my mouth is full of garbage? How can I go and tell people about Jesus if my life looks like garbage? But it doesn't matter. And this is why. Because it says in verse 17, if anyone, does not matter who you are, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This isn't talking about some distant time in the future. He's saying you just are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Stop dwelling on the past. Move forward in Jesus. If Jesus has forgiven you, why do you keep returning to those things as if you still live in the past? Today is a new day. Treat it like it's a new day. If a friend looks at you and starts calling out your sin, be like, yeah, you know what? That just shows that church is for sinners. Not for people that think that they got all together. And you fit right in. You're a sinner too. We have to be persuading people, showing them that we are a new creation. Now, that doesn't mean just take it and just be like, do whatever you want. Obviously not. It's just like you wouldn't go, and Pastor Lloyd shared this many times, you wouldn't go up and, and go and get married and be like, yes, now I have the liberty to go cheat on my wife. That's not your aim. That's not your obligation. Right? That, that's not your, your goal. But know that God is loving. No matter what you've done, no matter what sin you've forgiven, uh, you, you've, you've done, he will forgive you of each and all of your sins. And you are a new creation. So you might not be perfect all at once, but you are being sanctified. You are being cleansed so that you can walk in that newness of life. But you got to make it your aim. And then thirdly, we're accepting the responsibility of reconciliation. You know, um, as we went through this past conference, 
it really seemed like everyone's on the same page. They're all talking about the same thing about we've entered that new era and now we're all looking towards that revival. But it, it comes down to you guys. Are you going to accept your responsibility? Are you going to say, well, you know, I don't know. I just don't know if I really have that gift. I don't know if I'm really called to do this or do that. Now's the time. We're in 2014. A lot of you guys are graduating soon. A lot of you guys are, you know, you were just yesterday. You were in seventh grade and somehow now you're a junior. Now you're a sophomore. And you look at yourself in the mirror like, wow, I have facial hair and I'm a woman. No. <laughs> Sorry. Just kidding. I shouldn't joke like that. This message is for you guys. Look at the Bible. God used young people. Do not say, I am a youth. He says, I have chosen you. Be, of, be strong and be of good courage. Look at people like Daniel or like David, who didn't look at their youth. They didn't despise it, but instead they set an example for the believers. They use their lives. Just think of how encouraging it will be for this church if you guys really get that. And so for this next year, and this is what I'll, I'll close on. This next year, I just want to, as much as possible, just be seeking the Lord and asking him, Lord, how can I be a, be a servant of these kids that I'm, I'm hanging out with? How can I show them their value, their gifting? What is the challenge that I have to overcome? Each and every one of you has a gift. I, I've been thinking about this. I may have said this before, but how awesome would it be if we had a, a youth takeover day on a Sunday where one day we just, every single ministry is run by a student. Of course, I asked Madison Ericetti how much, how many servants we would need, and the answer is 153. So we might have to expand the youth group a little bit. But we can get there, right? But it's not even for the goal of just having one day that's run by youth, but like you guys realizing that you can be of value. Like this church can be run by you guys because it's made up of you guys. And if we don't start seeing our church, and not just our youth group, but if we don't see the rest of the church as the best church in the world, you guys are always going to be looking elsewhere. You're always going to be like, well, there's something out there. There's a body. Of, but really, the church is made up of us. And you guys have that power. and You have that impact. Uh, and you have that ability, that responsibility to, to pour into other people's lives, even if they're older than yourself. So realize that. Don't despise that. You know, Ed, when I was your age, which wasn't, that was like yesterday, I didn't see my gifting. I didn't see my calling. But I was dumb enough to, to listen to people and I said, hey, get involved in youth ministry. Okay, all right. I guess I can take photos. That's like those of you that remember when you were in sixth grade, that all I did was take photos every week. That's all I thought I could do. And then one day, like they needed Saturday night teachers, I started teaching. And I was like, well, that's fun. But and then I seriously did not think I would ever do this. But the Lord called me, and the Lord can call you, whoever you are, into the occupation that you're supposed to, to be in one day. But it's just a question of, are you planting a variety of crops? Are you investing your time in things that matter? Or are you just wasting your time like, well, I'm just waiting for God to just throw something in front of me and just land a job in front of my lap or land a calling right in front, in front of my lap? Are you seeking diligently Making time, making best use of the time because the days are evil. You know, you have the choice. Do you want to live in that old sinful pattern or do you want to live in that newness of life? Where God says, you know, it doesn't matter what struggle you're going through, what anxiety you're, you're going through. You can have that restoration. Though your bodies are dying, your spirits are being renewed every single day. So my hope and my prayer for you guys is that you do get involved. You know, you, you get into that 
a small group thing that we're going to be doing, like, if you have the time. Like, I understand, like, the most, uh, the most uh, pressing obstacle to you guys is the fact that you guys just don't have enough time to do everything. So I understand that. But whatever you do in word or deed, do everything uh, for the glory of God. So that's what I'm getting at for this next year is that you're able to just look at this church and when you go on a Sunday, you don't look at Sunday as a separate building. You look at Sunday as church. And you look to, to bless someone, even if they're older than you or younger than you. They could be in sixth grade and you say, you know what? I bet that kid doesn't even love Jesus yet. So I'm going to go talk to him and I'm going to just encourage him with a Bible verse. You guys have the ability to do that. So invest your time in things that matter. That's all I wanted to say. So next week, we're going to go back into Leap in the Dark. Um, don't miss out on that opportunity as well. What happens to this church um, really is up to you guys and really up to the Holy Spirit. So I've been praying a lot for you guys and praying that God moves in a powerful way. I just want to be the church that's on the forefront of revival, not on the tail end. Are you guys with me on that? You guys with me on that? I don't know. Maybe I'm just speaking to one person here. Like, how cool would it be if we are the church that's setting that pattern? And all the other Calvaries, all the other churches, like, man, there's something happening at Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge. Like, look, the young people are up on stage. They're ushering. They're, they're serving in children's ministry. They're going out evangelizing. And, like, they're on the news because they're being thrown in jail because of all this. <laughs> no. Like, how cool would that be? And then everyone else gets inspired and, and follows because of what happened at Calvary Chapel Oldbridge. You realize that's what happened at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa? The only reason why we, we value Chuck Smith and all those people over there is just because there was one person that's like, I believe the Holy Spirit. And whether, like Paul says, if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are of sound mind, it's for you. He just wanted to be yielded. And think about how crazy that was. Chuck Smith was an old man even to people like Pastor Lloyd. Right? There's a bunch of hippies and then Chuck Smith. And people would look at him like, who's this old guy? But he was yielded to the Holy Spirit. And such can be the same for you guys. If you're just yielded to him and you're saying, Lord, here I am. Send me. Imagine what he could do in our church. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this night. I pray, Lord.